Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How you doing? Oh, I'm in love, Rachel. I'm in love because I'm talking to you about an episode of science fiction, and that makes my heart race, makes it flutter, makes it want to, you know, forgive you and uh, for many, many heinous things and reconsider things, but also keep strong to my beliefs. That's that's how I'm feeling. How about you? Well. See, I found out something about you recently. <gasps> what? Just, well, it, it's something to do with your history. And, you, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And may, may, maybe now isn't the time or place to bring this up. But I feel like we need to address... Your shrine to Yum Yum. My shrine to Yum Yum, yes, people. We have a shrine in our house where Commander Nandi, there's a portrait of her, and there's all this Yum Yum paraphernalia around it, and every morning when I get up, before I go to the toilet, I kneel down and pray in front of it, just yes, so but you get it out of the way. You've been hiding this from me. and We, we live in a small apartment, in mm-hmm. a small unit. Well, I don't hide it. You're just blind to it, because you don't want to acknowledge no, Yum Yum in no, your life. No. No, in your hearts. You hid it in the linen cupboard behind the sheets, Ryan. Well, that's because it, like, the linen cupboard <laughs> is on the way to the bathroom, <laughs> and you, 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 yeah, move I, okay, it, you okay. close the door. Okay, it was an anniversary. Four months. It was going to be an anniversary months, surprise. You moved the heater in front of the cupboard door. It was going to be an anniversary surprise, Rachel, and I'm so sorry that you found out before. Our but you don't even you don't even acknowledge our wedding anniversary. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you don't even know when our wedding anniversary is, you which do is know also when our, which is which is also true. You uh, do when, know did we, that when did we get married? I don't know. You care more about our dating anniversary, which was back in May, so no, that no, doesn't no, no, even no, no, make Rachel, sense. Rachel, I care more about Babylon Five and when that came out and the no, episodes of that show. Our anniversary. Well, yeah, and our podcast anniversary has also passed. Uh, Rachel, you, you've got me. Uh, I, I surrender. You, you you nailed me in front of all of our yumlings. And, and our two guests. We have some guests. This week. We have some guests and we'll get to them in a second. They can wait. They can wait because we need to at least go over what we do here. What's the Yum Yum podcast about, Rachel? For those newbies and even for our, our guests who don't get to listen to the show themselves, could you go through what we do? We rewatch science fiction shows and talk about them. Yeah, we're going through Star Trek Discovery and we're going through Babylon 5. We talk about it from that rewatch perspective, which means there will be spoilers, so be warned of that. And Yum Yum comes from Star Trek Discovery. We carry it with us everywhere. Sometimes we joke around, but in all seriousness, when Yum Yum happened... We were forever changed. Our lives have never been the same. No one's life has ever been the same. Star Trek's never been the same, of course. But we need to just cut through that. And we've got to talk some Babylon 5. But we got some Babylon 5 podcasters to join us. Uh, we have two of the Babylon boys from the last Best B5 podcast. Welcome, Sean and Sean Rose. And Steve. Hello. Steve doesn't Hello. give a last name. 
<laughs> no, well, it's because they always refer to Sean as Sean Rose, <laughs> and then I pause because I couldn't remember Steve's last name. That's all right. It's a secret. People call me a Sean Rose secret. because it's my just. I, I have two names that are both one syllable. One so syllable. It's easy. Yeah, Sean so Rose. It's and it sounds romantic. You know, like Sean yeah, Rose. Yeah, Ooh. I would like to think that. Yeah, I can. I've always. Uh, I I'm one of the only people that can write my name on my on my knuckles. Uh, fully, <laughs> it can fully fit it. That's a powerful thing. A lot of people can't do that, so, and that's romance I, I, for no, sure. Not even, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you know, it's like in "Do the Right Thing" by Spike Lee, where it's like love and hate on his yeah. hands. That, I, that's me, but it's Sean, Sean and Rose. Sean yeah. and Rose. Yeah, it's a very powerful thing. So I take pride in that. Very and powerful. Hello, thank you. Uh, thank you for having us on to discuss yeah, how many letters you. are in Sean's name. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Yum Yum's all about. One, two, three, four. Easy wow. peasy. <laughs> okay. But uh, please tell us a bit about yourselves and uh, your podcast. Well, we are two of the three co-hosts of the Last Best Babylon 5 podcast. We are going through Babylon 5 episode by episode. Uh, Sean and I, we have never seen it before. So it's our first time through. Uh, and our, our pal Ben is uh, the veteran. He's seen it all. Uh, so he gets to marvel in our uh, ignorance, I guess you could say. In one of your first episodes, the one where Via himself first showed up, you and Sean both agreed that it's really funny that this show has a character that's just an absolute useless loser that will never grow. And you both laughed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's always good we when you have a spineless, Vier, yeah. you have a spineless weasel. And I'm like, oh, you fools. Well, you know, it's flounder. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, flounder. It's, it's flounder, yeah. <laughs> it's flounder, uh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I have I have no rem- I have no recollection of what I said about this character. Yeah. Well, Ryan got us I, on blast. We 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 record the these shows, and I I literally, it's always funny when anyone like asks me about something I said in any episode. I'm just like, what? What did I say? I don't remember. So yeah, it's, like, it's a blur. It's a blur. He blacks out when he records. Sean, he does. That's basically, a different, yeah, a different I, Sean I, comes up when we hit record. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, he only remembers that he just hates the current sponsor. Yeah, whatever your sponsor is, Sean will hate it. Even if he's the one that suggested Tang in the first place. Oof. Yeah, he did suggest Tang in the first place. I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> you did, if if you that did, happened, I don't, I don't remember it. You did it. Your fault. Um, You're responsible for your actions and the actions of the podcast. Um, no, I would well, love that if we were sponsored by Tang by or Hawaiian Tang. Punch. <laughs> I love that. Would All right. love that. Uh, be careful what you're uh, doing, Or Surge, Surge. If anyone at Surge is listening <laughs> steve i believe i gave you the dvd description of sick transit via could you tell us all what its interpretation of this episode is happy to do it happy to do it all right episode 12 sick transit fear romance is in the air sheridan has a dinner date with the len and veer meets his arranged bride only to discover she isn't all he hoped she'd be making matters worse his secret rescue scheme is exposed. Spoiler. 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 A, yeah, that, yeah, that, I, that, that, that pretty much sums it up. That yeah. pretty much sums it up. Uh, Rachel, Sick Transit Via, what's been your thoughts with this? I remember it for the John and Delenn stuff. Because <laughs> I was obsessed, and I'm still obsessed with them. You ship them. I screamed, <laughs> they're so cute, multiple times. 
Um, Ryan was rubbing his ears because mm. I screeched it too loud one time. Mm-hmm. He did not appreciate that. And did I did not. not care because they're really fucking cute. Um, <laughs> and then I remember that all of your stuff is good too. <laughs> <laughs> the episode's called Sick Transit Via, but Rachel walks away that her OTP <laughs> are still OTPing all over the place. That's what you got out of this. Yep. That's still what you, you get out of You take a pretty yeah. important step in this one. Yeah. And I mean, that is, that is the, to be fair, that is the one uh, non complicated, nice romance in this episode. Because <laughs> the <laughs> other one has a. A darkness to it. A very uh, dark darkness. To say the least. To say the least. Uh, my relationship with this one isn't too complicated. I've enjoyed it. I like it. I like the character of Via. I think it's a nice little breath of fresh air after having some heavy hitters. I think it's nice. I find it amusing. I find it funny. But I also like the fact that it doesn't betray the tone of the show that no, we've had. Where it's, it's still, still an episode of Babylon 5. It's still furthering things. It's great that Veer is uh, growing as a character. And uh, that is what I've gotten out of it in the past. And it's paying off all of the little moments that we've had with Veer and Londo during the reports. Yeah. Because they've mentioned that a number of times. Yeah, so when you get the opening scene and the minister's like, he knows it's Londo because of course it is. It's a nice little payoff for that. But I I think this is just a a fun episode without it being too much of an over-the-line deal. The whole episode is cute in its own way, even... When it does get to war crimes. Yeah, it's cute, but it still can be challenging. And uh, that's a fine line to walk. And sometimes it falls over it. But for the most part, for my taste, it walks it quite well. Sean, sick transit Veer. Veer is here. Uh, Thoughts on this? What has been your uh, viewing experience of this? And what was it like to come back to it? Uh, Yeah, I I like this episode. I... um... I don't have a recollection of what exactly my take was when we initially did it. Yeah, he blacks out. He just blacks out. out. But um, yeah, I like this episode. Well, it was it was it was nice to rewatch it. Um, it's not like a major episode. I wouldn't call it like a big favorite of mine. Um, but um, I, I enjoyed it well enough. I, I the scene in particular with um, with Veer and his uh, fiance when she's kind of revealed she reveals herself as to who she really is. Uh, is probably one of my one of the in my opinion one of the scariest scenes in the whole show. Mm. Um, I think about like that that scene really uh, got me when when I saw it, uh, and I was just like, "Ooh, okay, uh, this is not what I expected it to be." Um, and yeah, uh, like Rachel said, I like the uh, the, um, the 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 land and Sheridan stuff is very sweet. I like <laughs> seeing that kind of you know progressing a little bit. Um, yeah, it's this, I don't know. This is like a big one for me. Um, but I still, you know, I, I enjoy it well enough. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice one before it starts to get into in, in between like, you know, heavy stuff. Cause some, some, some even heavier stuff is, is on the way. Uh, but, uh, yeah. You know, I, uh, I was a little lukewarm on this the first time I watched it for our show, but watching it again, I, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, it's certainly a very interesting episode. I like what it's, doing and i like some of the shades of complication it adds to veer 
I, I I'm glad that you picked a, a good one for us to watch this this time around uh, instead of the <laughs> one where Franklin. Yeah, it was nice creep. to not feel like angry and miserable, um, <laughs> like watching a Babylon Five, like rewatching a Babylon Five episode. It was it was refreshing. <laughs> I'm curious to know, Steve, what was it about it that first time for you that made it a lukewarm experience, and why has that changed in a way for you coming back to it now? Well, I, it's kind of similar. Like, I think it's, um, I still think that this is a more interesting episode than a good episode. Um, because everything is so interesting. Uh, all the decisions that are made are, are quite, uh, I, there's no other word I can think of right now. Interesting. Uh, but I think this time around, I, I don't know, maybe I was less tired or something. I, I just, I had a better time. <laughs> <laughs> You were you were in a good mood to say. Yeah, you know, sometimes we record our show at like ten in the morning because Sean has, you know, morning his, energy, his, his strange morning fevers. But uh, <laughs> here I am at morning seven a.m. watching what are uh, morning Babylon fevers. Time. I drink coffee. I <laughs> so, so I'm energetic. I... Uh, but I mean, honestly, morning like fevers. I just kind of had a, 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 yeah, maybe I was in a better mood. But yeah, I had a, I had a fine time, fine time. Yeah, uh, as a fan uh, myself, I'm a fan of the Via character, so I was always going to be drawn to an episode where it says it's about Via because we don't get a lot of episodes about the attaches. They can be in episodes, but we don't get a lot of them where they're having an arc or they're having a journey. They're usually an aid of somebody else because they are characters who are aids to other people. But it is clear over the course of the three seasons that Veer has grown a lot and has a moral compass and things about him in which it can necessitate having a full story about, or one that is following him a lot more. While characters like Lanier, he's he's got stuff happening, but he's still very much a... he is the shadow to his ambassador, while Veer, he is trying to step out of being the shadow and having to be his own person so and i like leaving the nest as londo yeah sure yes. and i like stephen first's performance as well i think stephen first is very fun i was not familiar with him outside of babylon 5 when watching it that first those first several times so i just took it as this, this as this so whole flounder thing means nothing to me overall <laughs> yeah. and uh and now you know him also was Uncle Magic Kid. Oh, yes. The Magic Kid movies. He's in those, and he made them at the same time as Babylon 5, and it's very weird to see him playing really? like the oh, fat, dumb comedy guy in the same time period as when he's begging Londo not to commit war crimes. <laughs> yeah. So it's Genocide, very strange. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, Via, mm-hmm. he is here. What? Yeah. I mean, this is an episode well, about him. Well, he's not here on clear. Babylon 5 just yet. No, not yet. It's but, clear that Veer is here. But I, I just want to know, like... Did he hear I have no. <laughs> Thank you. I've heard now. It's going. We can just keep going. We can. We can just do a please. Yeah, we, we have to put do... a stop to this now because it could just be the whole show. It could be the whole drink, show. Drink a yeah. beer for Veer, who's here. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta. Okay. Put a pin okay, on that, Steve. I'm, it's I'm gonna, gonna get dangerous. It's gonna get. This is gonna get dangerous. I'm so fast. sorry. We're gonna hang up on Steve. <laughs> yeah. You have to Goodbye, hang everyone. Up Goodbye, <laughs> Steve. It was right. wonderful. Thank you, to have Steve. You. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Steve was here, and now he's gone. So, Rachel, Via is a character I think we both have enjoyed. Yes. Um, but do you remember what your reaction to the him was when you were going over this that first time? Because he is somebody that is presented one way to begin with, but does develop. Y- yeah, that wasn't what I thought about when I watched this. I was like, yeah, Via's a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. 
him and you know him and Lanier are little virgins, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, yeah. That's what I took away. Do you have to be a virgin to a virgin to be an attaché? Is that? Do like you a, think? <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, Sean. Sean, I'm going to take you aside. Natoth, she fucked. Yeah, I was going to say, come Natoth. on. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. You're no, you're right, you're right. Because I was thinking of like Lanier and Veer, and then yeah, no, and, Natoth, yeah. and let's not forget Lita. Natoth is the outlier. Lita, she fucks too. Come on. Come on, let's not forget. Was that. she in a, was was Lita an attaché? She's she's hanging she's out with Kosh. Like yeah. Kosh's buddy. Yeah. yeah, she's she's Kosh's buddy. That's what That's she's been up to. She's yeah. not oh, an yeah. official attaché yeah. though. But she serves that function in yeah. the story. But um, she fucks. Well, I feel like Lanier doesn't oh. fuck in in like religious principle, and I think. Veer doesn't fuck because he's a loser. I think if, yeah. if you're, if you're, I think the rule is if you're a lady attaché, you're like an alpha who fucks. And oh if yeah, you're, you're a male attaché. You're a beta virgin loser. Yeah, um, you, you're... we just, we just call it right there. That's hot. There's yeah. the line. There's there, the line. There you go. I mean, There's the line. Sean, you're the arbiter of betas yeah. and alphas. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. if you're gonna be an attaché, you have to be a cool lady or the, the most pathetic man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask. So one or the other, there's no, there's no uh, there's middle no, yeah. ground on that. There's no middle ground. I was going to ask. So Sean and Steve, this is you know you're going through B five. Veer is a character that has been there since episode one. So I'm curious to know what has been your your overall takes and journeys with this character. How do you feel about him? How have you felt about him? Uh, I mean, I love Veer. Veer's great. Um, it's it really speaks to the strengths of the show that. Uh, someone's assistant can have such a rich inner life. Um, Didn't Veer have like a weird monologue once about what he believes like a a soul is like? Yeah. Fate. Yeah. Fate. Right. Like it's just nice. I I think it speaks to um, how, how generous I guess is the word that JMS is with his actors. Like he, he gives people something uh, pretty much all the time, and uh, yeah, I love Veer. If I said he was a loser in the beginning, you know, I was wrong. Uh, oh, bad. he can be a loser, and you can still love him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think part of the fun Sean. of the. Um, well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, uh, I'm just gonna let that roll off my back. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll cry. I'll cry about it later. Uh, I'll I'm cry about it later. Note, I'll note that down, and I'll I'll think it over later. Um, I. I, I think what's nice about it, I, I mean, yeah, it's a, part of the fun of, of doing the show um, is that we, we do get to kind of like have these first impressions of folks and then we, we kind of, we're along for the ride. So we kind of, we, we kind of see how it changes over time. And uh, with Veer, I mean, I, I guess what I like about Veer too is that like, I feel like his arc is not even that, um, at least so far, hasn't been particularly complicated. Like he hasn't changed that much. He's maybe just not as meek as he was, but like he's always been like a good dude. Um, so it's really like more like Londo has just gotten worse and worse. Um, I, you could argue that Londo hasn't really changed either. Yeah, but um, the, the gap he's just taking, in their actions has widened. Yeah, exactly. He's taking more action. And so like Veer is just kind of sticking to his principles, really. Uh, and that is kind of what is, you know, admirable about him and why he's kind of, you know, still uh, an interesting character and has grown is that it's like, yeah, he's, he, he has a... A moral compass and he sticks to it uh and so that becomes more and more admirable as you know everything changes around him as the show goes on so, yeah 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 he's great I, I, he is challenged though that's what i like about him is throughout the show he's the voice of reason but as we've seen in the last few episodes 
you just being a voice of reason isn't enough. You need to actually take action. You need to stand up to the Night Watch, Zach Allen. You need mm-hmm. to break away from Earth, Sheridan. I you stand need is to... not acceptable. Thank you, yeah. Sheridan. Thank you, Sheridan. And it's like, and it's you know, and Veer. Even in this episode, you know, he he doesn't fully, you know, uh, like he's still kind of meek. Like he's he's not perfect. You know, he's he's still like will kind of like try to appease people and and try his his best. Like that's just kind of how he is. Um, well, so yeah, and like, he's not great at this because he got caught. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, he's still yeah, kind of like, yeah, you know, he's still yeah, figuring he's not out like how to be shady. He doesn't, yeah. yeah, he doesn't have the 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 perfect shady evil of, yeah. of Londo. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like, like a good representation yeah, of that. I feel like a good representation of that is the way that he fights back against the Nan compared to Sheridan. Mm. Like he just kind of stands there. Oh, he's and gets beaten up. He's but he's still yeah. technically sta- taking a stand. But Sheridan yeah. gets there and kicks ass. Oh, he's yeah. Sheridan. He's Sheridan our hero. arrives and <laughs> knocks him around. And Veer had no explanation for the attack. None. He said it was a complete mystery. Well, maybe it was just a random terrorist attack on a Centauri. It's not like they need a reason these days. I'm not so sure. Just before he came at them the last time, he yelled, "Sean Carr." Shankar? That's a Narn blood oath. Exactly. Meaning it's a personal grudge. I want to throw it over to the Babylon boys. Uh, could you walk us through that opening sequence uh, to the title credits where we have uh, Ivanova's dream and what V is oh, up to yes. on Centauri Prime? Which is very different than the dream sequences that we've had with Ivanova so far. <laughs> usually, usually it's the, usually it's a psychor torturing her mother. Those are usually her dreams. Or her this with time. a crow on her shoulder. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. But that's when she's in other people's dreams. Yeah, this is a very different type of dream. Uh, Steve, do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, she is. Uh, she's nude. <gasps> she walks into CNC and she's just going about her day, but she is buck naked, fully and ever- nude. Everyone sees it, but she doesn't know until it's way too late. And one guy's really into it. (laughs) Where where was Corwin? He was not here. I was looking for him, but Corwin is not in the dream. She doesn't want him there. Subconsciously, she doesn't want him to see us. He's too good a boy. He would never look. (laughs) Uh, How did you guys feel about this? I mean, this is a really, like, bananas way to open an episode. Uh, it was kind of silly. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it was, was silly, it but it was worked goofy for you, in that Steve? JMS way. Mm. It was fine. I, I have no yeah. strong feelings about it. It's like I right. mean, I, I knew it was a dream. Like, I, like the moment it happened, I'm like, this is obviously like a like a dream sequence or something. Um, it, and so it was just like, okay, I I see what's happening. Yeah, it's very yeah. I don't know, very JMS humor. This episode. And that scene really tells you straight up front that JMS and co are wanting to have use the abilities of the actors because yeah. it is just Claudia Christian giving her comedic chops to the screen. And we'll see that throughout the runtime with pretty much everybody. Every actor is given the opportunity to be, if not funny, charismatic. This is somebody who knows their cast really well and it's just like, well, let's let them have fun. We've had a lot of dramatic stuff happening recently and uh, let's just be a bit fun and this I time like around. the so, way that the episode tells you that rather up front 
when John is asking Delenn out on a date. Mm. And I'm like, who knows what tomorrow is going to be like? Like, th- now, now, yeah. now, 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 now. Today is not a day in the strife for us. So can we have a can we have a nice date? It's no this, day in the strife. This is more of a day in the life than a day in the strife. But there are moments of a day of a well, day in the strife. Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about V's day on <laughs> Centauri Prime? Oh, he's like uh, he's like stroking that. Uh, he's fondling that. Yeah, throne. creep. He's really into the throne. Well, he 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 knows a prophecy now. Yeah, right. He he got told right. that he'll be emperor one day, and he's already and he's already like, can I angle for this? Oh, yeah, maybe. Like maybe one day this will be mine. <laughs> They're all yeah, obsessed that was, with uh, that pretty cheap looking throne. <laughs> How much? Yeah. Is, well, uh, the the episode where they establish where, where they had uh, Majel Barrett on and had them uh, and predicted that was that like that was shortly before this one yeah it was like two episodes two or three episodes ago. okay yeah 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 so that's still yeah that's that's still hanging there and then the guy comes up to him and makes the racist joke (laughs) Uh, yeah the the other part of this that i remember not a very good joke well, uh, it's the way he tells it, though, Sean. That's what's important. He also tells it very poorly. He's laughing at his own joke. <laughs> yeah, he, all, yeah, he also doesn't do a good job of telling it. He's very it. proud no. of the joke as well. Yeah. <laughs> but he tells it like you're It's a old. bad joke told maybe even worse than the joke. Yeah. yeah. Well, he tells it like an old person in your family who was like, I've heard this really funny joke, and they're laughing, and they can't even get through the joke, and it's like yeah, just and a, it's, an average statement made more yeah. so than a and joke. And it's also uh, deeply racist. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but no. I do appreciate it, it's a that. Setup. I can't. Sorry. Can't yeah. That. yeah it's a, it's I do a appreciate that they gave this random guy a lot of character. Yeah, th- this yeah. could just oh, yeah. be a delivery... Yeah. Uh, a plot delivery actor who walks in and is like, "Congratulations, Veer! Everyone likes your report. You're going to Babylon Five. Goodbye." But like, they gave him this personality that he's like a corny old uncle that is full of racist jokes. Yeah, but he's already done the like bland character performance when he was in the show beforehand. This guy oh, before? has been in the show once really? before. He was in the episode where Londo and Lanier went out on a poker night. He was the Centauri oh. who was basically saying the same thing. Like His advice to Veer is very similar attitude that he had with Londo in that one, where he was the guy on the TV screen telling Londo that he needs to interact with aliens. We need to broaden our horizons. We can't be in the old ways where we restrict ourselves to the things of the world. And so this is a kind of series where Babylon 5 will just bring these little actors back every now and then to do things. And this guy gets to be a little bit more vibrant. He's physically there. He's, he's very flailing with his gestures and very silly. And his voice is very, that kind of uh, ludicrously frail. A lot comes Mm -hmm. through. (laughs) A lot comes through. You remember him, you remember it. And then obviously the follow through of, (laughs) The via sequence. Even though you to... don't get his name. No, he's just a minister. Yeah. Just... And that doesn't, because it doesn't matter. Old man. No. We don't yeah. need names to some characters. Like, remember Vaughn Armstrong's Nightwatch security guy? He yeah. didn't have a name, but you'll forever remember that <laughs> Nightwatch guy because he, he felt like God. Oh, we you remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy was, a... that guy we was great. That guy was name on our show, King Sean. King, <laughs> King Sean. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 And I, Sean... didn't, I didn't appreciate that. Sean's accepted it, though. Um, you can write that on your knuckles too. So, um, yeah, and uh, that's true. Yeah, then we yeah. get 
<laughs> Sean's <laughs> accepted it. Sean's accepted it. He's accepted the title of he, King Sean. He's grabbing, he's grabbing some rubbing alcohol to remove that permanent marker. Yeah, now he's going to write King Sean. Uh, I do like that we get Veer just wandering off through Centauri Prime, opens a door, and there's just like a fuckload of Narns there, and then they just quietly close the door, and that's like how we go to the opening of the show. Just yeah, It's a good teaser. Good teaser. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you go, oh, okay, right, what are we what are we going to do do here? And I think one of the things that's lost minorly is we as podcasters, we as people who may have the show on streaming or DVD, we know what the name of the episode's going to be, so we already kind of know it's going to be a Veer episode, but when you were just tuning in, imagine just tuning in and it's like, and this cold opens being, being like, no, no, guys, guys, this week. It's about Veer. It would have been a nice, pleasant surprise because we're three seasons in and we haven't really had a story about our boy Veer. And what a what a nice little cold open sting. What is more dangerous than a locked room full of angry nons? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What is more dangerous than a locked room full of angry nons? One angry non with the why are John and Delenn so important to you? Because I could hear it in both Sean and Steve's voices in their reaction to you saying that this is what you took away from the episode, that it's not as important to them, but it's very it's important. important to me. Me, okay? It's important to me. And it's just because I ship them so gosh darn hard. Mm. So gosh darn cute. hard. They're very cute. I know I, I know Sean in particular understands the importance of shipping. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I spent half of the I spent half of our show talking about shipping. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Very important. Yeah. And, and my ship is canon, so... <laughs> well, yeah, because they're, they're, they're now on dates and stuff. Yeah. Um, they almost kiss. Yeah. I will say that I... Uh, I it actually, this is actually is very important to me, I will say, because I did make a prediction for this season that they would, like, officially, you know, get, get together. That was one of my predictions. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't happened, like fully yet they keep doing it's like i mean in this episode like they keep doing it's the like, thing where like they almost kiss and they ah they get interrupted a and i'm just forward like it's not even a full <laughs> yeah. step I'm just each wait, episode I'm, yeah it's and like, like listen i get it they got a less than they got an a, inch and i'm here yeah. for it and i'm like and i i understand they gotta they gotta wait for like a big moment to to, mm-hmm. to make it official but you know i'm wait i'm waiting for it i'm waiting patiently for it you, yeah. you, Rachel, naturally, as a viewer of media, you you ship people. You yeah. watch shows for shipping. You watch Grey's Anatomy and Chesapeake Shores to just ship people. You don't watch it for drama, the drama of it. You're just like, I want to see these cute, handsome people be cute and handsome mm-hmm. and delightful. That's what you watch yeah. shows a lot for. Yeah. And I think with Delenn and John in particular, it's because they're both good people. Mm-hmm who have made some shady decisions in their pasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not perfect people. 
No, no. I mean, they're not a perfect person. Yeah, they're not a perfect but person. But they're they're perfectly complementary to each other. What you're saying too, Rachel, it makes me think about things that we've criticized when we've talked about romance in other media on our podcast, specifically Star Trek Discovery, is although they as individuals aren't gleaming and perfect, their relationship isn't fucked up in that way that, say, Ash Tyler and Michael Burnham's relationship no. was in Star Trek Discovery, where it's just like a misery fest where you go, why are these people together? Yeah. You understand the healthy relationship these two have, but there's still a road to be taken of developing mm. it and furthering it and yeah. teasing the audience with a kiss or handhold or maybe even... Or calling each other by their first name. First name, those important yeah. little steps in, in courtship. Step, yeah. But at the core you of it... I love the chaste aspect. I love the chaste aspect of it because it makes me care. Yeah. And they are a couple Every in which... Every little thing feels very important. And as a viewer myself who doesn't really give a shit for romance, especially in my sci-fi stuff, you have to win me over. And if you're winning me over by giving me a reason to understand why they're in love mm. and why their love is one that's healthy and uh, something that you want to maybe aspire yeah. to yourself, then but that's also good. subdued. Subdued. Their, but... their love isn't one that's overt or for show. Yeah. Because they're very public people in all of these other aspects of their life. And their romance towards one another doesn't water down the things I like about them as a character. Like, for instance, with Deep Space Nine, I love Odo, but I do not love horny, romantic, simpy Odo for Kira. That's not the Odo I like. Every time we do that, it waters him down for me. But it's an important part of that character. And anytime Major Kira is in a relationship with some fucking Bajoran, I don't give a rat's ass. For some reason, I was like, I don't give a rat's ass. Or... Things of that, and uh, I think that's just one of the things that, when rewatching it today, this episode, it was like, oh, you know what? There's no conflict between these two, other than he's not a great cook, and she's just too polite to say anything. That's mm. fine. I don't need Ash Tyler choking Michael Burnham to death and throwing her across the room, and then them tearfully saying, "I still love you," because that's not relatable. I don't relate to that. That's like, I get it, sci-fi, high fantasy drama crap, but at the same time, it's like. Why should I care if there's not at least some relatability between these people? And it doesn't need to be that level of drama to be dramatic and intriguing. Yeah, like, on a dramatic level, I think most of us here are invested to see them kiss because they're taking it so slow. And Mm. that is dramatically investing rather than them having, like, big twist reveals and Stuff of that nature. Steve, how did you feel about the almost kiss this time? Oh, I thought it was cute. I think their whole thing is cute. I got, I honestly have no problems with, with the relationship at all. I think it's quite nice. The only thing that like we laugh about uh, is that like Sinclair was in one season of the show. <laughs> and that dude fucked. That dude was all about fucking... Oh, yeah. uh, anything that it made that it clear first, from the very beginning. Yeah, day one, he's like, I know all the holes and all the poles, and yeah. I know how it works. Yeah, he was talking. Then, literally, his first line in the sh- entire show is about genitalia. So, and then, and I then mean, he goes off to 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 score a hot babe in his frictionless sheets. And then we have John, uh, you know, we have Sheridan show up, and it's like this guy is like a real badass. He's like a military hero. He's a, he's kind of like, and then he's like the most yeah. like uh, 
Well, like I just like to timey. Yeah. Well, gosh, I just, I just like to hold. To... I just like. I'd love to hold your hand. Delight. Yeah. Can I? Can I kiss you on the cheek tonight? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> but there's like, another. I'd like to speak to like... your father about taking your hand. <laughs> like if Sinclair was here, he'd be like, he'd already have done the deed. He, he technically, like, technically, oh, yeah. yeah, I'd love to. Technically, him and Delenn got married, remember? Sinclair and Delenn got married in that religious ceremony, technically? So it's like, he could have gone to town and not have to worry about courtship. Sheridan doesn't have frictionless sheets. He's just in his cornflakes and believing that they'll stop him from masturbating. Oh, boy. (laughs) He loves oranges with pulp. I have a quote from Abraham Lincoln that is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, with my romantic feelings. <laughs> like, I love my dad. Do you want to hear about my dad? <laughs> and that's him. But yeah, I think like, they had key... this moment, yeah. <laughs> oh, there is a key difference, though, right, where Sinclair was allowed that. One, two, one of the things that's important is both of the women that we saw Sinclair fuck were longtime partners. They were already established girlfriends. Yes. And then the oh, difference sure. with yeah. Sheridan is he's a widower. So it's like... I I at least appreciate the fact that he isn't immediately a horn dog fucking around because it's like well he has a dead wife and when we first met him that was like a core conflict. He's but still mourning her in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah but it's it is kind of amusing because it's it's Bruce Boxleitner. He's so he's so handsome. Know, typical he's so American yeah. handsome man. He's Tron. And, he's drawn for crying out loud. And you want to see him fuck, but the fact that he's just like, oh, golly gee, Delenn, I'm not much of a cook. I'm not a gourmet like that Garibaldi. <laughs> but maybe we can lean in. Oh, don't. Oliver's cold. Oh, and it is a little silly, but I'm fine with it, it being is. that little silly. Oh, it's super cute. I like it. I have no problems with it. It is just, it is kind fun, of funny man. to me that he's just like, well, gosh, oh, oh boy, Delenn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You make my heart skip a beat. How, Sean, how are you when it comes to this and just romance in your stories? How do you fare with it? Because I, like I just said, I'm not a big follower of it. Rachel is. How do you land with it and how does it work in Babylon 5 for you? Oh, uh, I mean, I generally like romance and stuff. I, I, um, I, I mean, it depends on the show. Like, I mean, there's some stuff where I... I feel very invested in it. And there's some stuff where like other people will kind of see more into that than, than I do that, that, that will happen a fair amount. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I like it. I really, I honestly really like good romance stories. Um, I sometimes will get very involved in them. Um, and as we've said, like in, you know, with Babylon five, I mean, I, I, I have a little bit of fun with it, but I do enjoy kind of having some fun, uh, shipping. I, I mean, the big one that I have talked about many times is, uh, Koshiden, of course, which is Sheridan and Kosh, um, and you can feel that energy from them, and it's truly beautiful. Um, and uh, I mean, Sheridan and Delenn uh, is canon, and that's also great, and I, I think it's very sweet. Um, no, I, I like I'm a, I'm a romantic at heart. I would like to think. Yeah, Sean Rose. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it depends on the show. Some stuff, it's like I, I just sometimes I sometimes I just don't get that vibe from some stuff, uh, but sometimes I do, and it's fun. Sometimes it's just a, an obligation. Like, you have two characters, one of them's a man, one of them's a woman, they obviously have to get together because that's just how the nature of the beast is. And in all yeah, fairness... Yeah, I, I don't like a... it if it's too phoned in. I, I don't like yeah. Yeah, like you said, I don't like it if it's too um, 
like predictable and ca- I like it when it feels and I like Sheridan the Land. It feels very natural. It just mm. feels like they kind of just met and then they just like each other and it's like oh okay cool. yeah and yeah. and I think we are all fans of this era of, of of television and of science fiction TV and if we're going to say Star Trek, that's kind of one of the things I like about Star Trek is our captains. They don't have to have a romantic interest. They can have some in episodes or maybe later down the road, but that's not always... It's the, not the show. It's not the show. Like, the show isn't about Picard falling in love over the course of seven seasons or whatever. Or it's not about Archer falling in love over the course <laughs> of four. You know, it's not always about that. That's not always a key component. And side characters can have it, but here, like in Babylon 5, it very much is. Like, Sheridan and Delenn are going to fall in love and let's see that happen. And like, it isn't just going to be something like it happens in the back half of the show. Like, literally, he sees her the first time and his eyes bug out of his head and he's like, oh, this wow. guy is attractive. And you know, you oh, know, you're like, okay, this is... Yeah. What's going to happen? And you have to be on board for that or not. And I think, it's like, at least for me, when I watch these type of shows, they are often those bad one-off romances where Dr. Crusher falls in love with a guy that turns into a bowl of energy or something oh, or rather. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And or Janeway falls in love with a hologram and <laughs> things of, of that. And I kind of roll my eyes or like i said deep space nine have some of those ongoing romances that i'm just like i'm not as invested in uh steve uh, you said this is cute this is this is fun but like how are you with romantic stuff in your in your shows especially of this time period and like how are you with it when it comes to Bab- babylon 5 like how does it push it f- in the right direction for you yeah in general i i, I kind of take it as it is if, if it's good i love it if it's bad i i don't <laughs> i i have like no real strong opinion um i think a good example is like i recently rewatched futurama and like that show was so much funnier before they were like fry is in love with leela like before that w- once that came into the show it was like oh i don't know i just don't buy it um and that became like the only part of the show uh but with this i i, I think I've said this before, and it's kind of a weird thing to say because JMS is known for a lot of things, but I would say that he is a very romantic guy. And he has said things in the show, you know, he has written scripts that are, like, extremely beautiful and extremely, like, mature. Uh, They have, like, a really good take on love, especially adult love. Um, And it's it's just all very realistic, too. Like, in, in a stressful situation, everyone's kind of jammed together on the ship um life is kind of going wild outside like yeah like people are gonna find each other and and i yeah i think it's very realistic and it's very mature uh and i i want to give props to to the man himself jms good job man good job buddy Uh, tomorrow we may be involved in another crisis another battle this may be the last chance we'll get for a while you know back home we have an old saying eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die Humans can be a very depressing people. Only if we get turned down for dinner. Of one of us going through quite a lot in this, we get that opening dream sequence, and I love Sheridan's like, do you mind, hey, hey, do you mind if I just uh, give you some uh, psychoanalysis while we're getting Dime breakfast? store psychoanalysis. <laughs> and, and it sure was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steve, come on. It's Sheridan. Oh, it's very, I mean, yeah, it's very easy to know what that dream means. So Yeah, it, it's rather upfront. But it gives one of us something to do in the episode. It gives her 
a, a supporting motivation to do what she would usually do in an episode. Like, Ivanova would usually do what she did here, which is her job. She investigates a thing, finds a problem, finds a solution. And that's good and all, but you need to make something more of that, or else you're falling into a pattern, and eventually you make her a boring character in which she's just very good at her job, and that becomes monotonous. So in this you motivate that with her having this subconscious problem that she's going through, and as we go through this journey in the episode, she's having to give advice to Via, yeah. she's having to uh, grab this problem that Via has given them and mm-hmm. form it into a newfound solution for the time being. And it's so Ivanova that she's like, but I dealt with that. <laughs> yeah, I like, dealt- no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You need to actually stop and acknowledge it to deal with it. Yeah, Ivanova often is very closed off like that. Like, we get that in TKO with the rabbi, where he's just like, you know, you know just because you're in space doesn't mean you can run away from your own heart, and that's her here, where it's like, she thinks that she's fixed it. She's like, well, well, I, I, I acknowledge the fact that we've done all of this, so it's fine. I'm wearing my new uniform. What more do you want from me? I'm doing my job. Maybe I need... I need to do more than docking, perhaps. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like Ivanova as a character, but you do need to, in your scripts, give her a bit of a push to do something more because as a character, she's she's God, as she says. She's extremely good at what she does. So you need to give her frailties and faults within her character to make it something of interest to 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 watch. Uh how are you guys when it comes to Ivanova as a character and what did you think of her her little arc in this singular episode? Uh I mean Ivanova's great. Um I thought that this episode treated her pretty well. Uh I like her being kind of the voice of uh this transition. You know, Garibaldi's not up here being naked. Uh neither is Sheridan. Uh, or Franklin. So, like, I think Ivanova makes sense. She's kind of really the nuts and bolts of the place, and, and her being the one that's like, maybe there's more to unpack here. I, I thought that was a good choice. Um, yeah, uh, and she's the one, she was real mean to Veer, though. I'll tell you that. She was real mean to Veer when she thought he murdered 2,000 people. So. Wouldn't you be? Yeah, I guess I would. Yeah, I guess that's fair. You're so disappointed because it's like, you're meant to be the better one. And they built up to it, at least. She was very disappointed when she thought he was putting them in work camps. She was like, is that really the better solution, Veer? (laughs) He was like, yeah, yeah. She also, I mean, that scene where Veer asks her for sex advice, good or bad, that's like, I'll never forget that scene. No, I'll never oh, yeah. forget that scene. Good or bad, uh, that's stuck in my brain forever. So that was yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. She gives some good advice, though. Honestly, she gives like, her sex advice is like legitimately. I, I couldn't think of anything better. Uh, like, be yeah, what, like, what is like she very say? Nice like, advice, you know. Yeah, and be it's enthusiastic. And, always and applicable. Passionate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though the scene serves as a comedic scene for the most part. JMS still gives us something to take away from it that isn't just a cheap, easy laugh. Like, it's an easy, cheap laugh to be like, V is a virgin, and he gives, like, the finger gestures and Ivanova being at the end being like, yeah. six! Ho, ho, ho! And also, but, Centauri sex is just really fucking weird. And, yeah, because they have tentacles. Yeah. I also love <laughs> the blocking in that scene of mm. her trying to walk away from him, and they just walk in a circle around <laughs> the office, and they're back where they started, and she's mm. like, okay, I didn't get away from this. 
quite literally. Yeah, there's some interesting direction and blocking for what is essentially a light comedy episode. I really like yeah. there's this one shot where we're seeing Veer and Lindesty, but we're through like something and you realize it's a glass and it's being poured, water's being poured into it and we're slowly mm. zooming out mm. and it's and it's Londo pouring the drink and it's like, oh, we're making the scene more dynamic to look at visually than if it was just a straight cut yeah. from commercial to them sitting there talking. Where we're and also, showing off that Londo's also in that yeah. room like that. And with that scene you talk about... And his role within this situation. Yeah. And, that he's in control of a lot of it. Yeah, and he's this big figure in literally in the frame. He takes up the frame as we zoom out. But that scene you're talking about, the, the sex advice scene, you're right, Rachel. There's some interesting blocking because in the early days of the show, it would have just been a simple... Shot reverse. Shot reverse shot. They're standing there. Maybe he's sitting and he does the finger gestures. But the fact that there is physical movement in the scene. And uh, again, this is a scene you will never forget because it's it's weird. (laughs) Because Centauri's are like weird. And I remember in the early days, I think everybody does it. It's like uh, outside of their hair, are they really that different to us? And the show tells you, yes, they are. Over and over and over again as it goes along. The hair's just one thing that you can see. And... You only, you've gotten a, a few shots of the tentacles. Yes, yes, we got the tentacles on the statues, and uh, obviously Londo's tentacle went cheating at cards. Oh yeah! And um, incredible episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Sean, how about you? When it comes to Ivanova uh, uh, in general, she's always a very reliable and solid character. But how do you, how do you fare with her when it comes to the show having to to push her more? Because there's been moments where it's like we've got to push Ivanova to to be challenged or better. Because if we stay in the same lane, she will just become just a standard, fair, sci-fi, I'm good at my job. Like, you push her into diplomacy. This one, they're pushing her into Veer's affairs. How do you How do you go with that? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, like, see, I, I really like Ivanova a lot. Um, I think she's, uh, she's also had, like, a really nice arc in the show because, you know, you could tell that she kind of started off as being a more kind of, like, a standoffish character and she, like, kind of has just loosened up over time and uh, I really like that. Um yeah, like, I don't know. Ivanova's a good, like, audience stand-in in a lot of ways, I think. Like, she's very relatable. Um, you can kind of... She seems like the kind of person who would be the the neutral party who is just kind of dealing with chaos around her. So I think it... Um, I don't know. It, it makes sense for her to be the one who is just kind of f- flustered and kind of just trying to deal with whatever weird shit Veer is dealing with and having to hear about his... Uh, his his like weird sex shit and just be like listen i'm just gonna give you some nice advice and just take it i don't you don't please don't give me any other details about whatever whatever it is you're dealing with i also love the way that she's like when before she gets to the point where she's like oh boy six she actually has that look like i'm quite pleased with that advice yeah considering that like you know what that's not bad. Well, she doesn't consider herself somebody who's capable of giving that advice herself because she no. also is terrible at romance and intimacy. And relationships, which is what she she says that first to try and get <laughs> out of giving advice. Get out. Don't talk to me, please. And and again, that's that is earned because we've seen that in the show. We've seen yeah. exes, we've seen what happened with Talia or what didn't happen with Talia, which was even underlined in the episode previous to this one where she said, I think I loved her. And you go, yeah, Ivanova maybe not the greatest person, but at the same time, she has experienced things, and so she can give this to Via. Well, could you imagine if this was Garibaldi? 
Oh man, that would have been a scene. And if it was Garibaldi giving advice, we don't need any more sex. He'd be like, "Okay, Via, you need to go to the tube. Okay, there's a tube. We have a special tube. You can can crank it all day." (laughs) Yeah, he took a break for this one, and uh, that was good. And. Uh, Ivanova at the end gets a, a new job. She's the, the was it, the, oh, official, the official the official sneak. She's the official Photoshop expert. <laughs> and sneak. Yeah. She's 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 collecting little secrets and doing shady little projects. They need somebody to do that during this separation from Earth, I guess. Somebody's got to be the sneaky one. I, I like that it's not Garibaldi. He would be the obvious pick because he's Garibaldi. He always has things on the go. But I like the fact that Ivanova gets to be a little sneak. It's not yeah, Mister Peekaboo. It. She's happy. Yeah, it's not Mr. Peekaboo. I mean, um, (laughs) it's not Mr. Peekaboo, that's true. Uh, Garibaldi had to take an episode off because he he was too tired after revealing his password being Peekaboo to everybody and everyone judging him. So he had to have a bit of a lay down. (laughs) Everyone was laughing. I I heard Steve. He was laughing. I was laughing. He heard it all the way down under. Peekaboo. How would you have guessed it? Let's get into the main thrust of the plot of the episode, Activia. which is Via is here. Everybody, let's get to the rhyming again. Steve, go. Yeah. Via is here. Take it. Uh, he's on my bed. Via is here. Uh, so no, don't start open, him again. open your ears. It's it's. <laughs> just keep going. Sean, take it away. No, I will not. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. Killjoy Sean is far no further. I cannot do it. (laughs) Oh, God. You got Rachel. Rachel's squeaking (laughs) like a a trolley down a shopping aisle. (laughs) So, Veer is here, and he is very confused when no one meets him at the gates. He's like, where's where's Londo? Londo's always here. Londo's here, and he's being funny in another scene that I'm not allowed to see because I'm confused at what's going on. We find out that, oh my lord, Veer has a wife, or well, at least a fiancé, and yeah. uh, ooh, what's that going to uh, bring us? What was your reaction, guys, to this being the initial pitch of the episode? Because Centauri's are usually pretty fun, Veer's been a very funny character in the past, and we've had like the episode Soulmates, where it's like, Londo's three wives, we know about the arranged marriages and stuff, but... And polygamy and polygamy and all of that uh so what was your initial reaction to the episode being like and veer has a wife oh boy uh, why not good premise uh a lot of opportunity for some hijinks and a little bit of an opportunity to see how these relationships happen and how like what it's like in the beginning for an arranged marriage with centauri that was all for it i thought it was fun and it followed through on that pitch that you wanted it to, because I know sometimes B five will be like, I and mean, the pitch is, co- uh, you know, the pitch is cool when thinks he's on a date with a Vonova, but not really, <laughs> and then you're deeply dissatisfied. Oh, I love that! I love that wow. scene. But no, I, it did. It um, I I had no idea where it was going, and I was very satisfied in a very disgusting way with with what ended up happening with Lindisty. I was just like. That yeah, I, that came out yeah. of nowhere. Um, I knew someone was up with her, but not nah, that. Um, yeah, really she's rewarding. Too sweet. Mm. So she's yeah. suspicious from the start. 
because all of the other centauri women, all of the ladies, are conniving. Yeah. Well, Adira was nice. Adira, but she also had her own racket going on. She was a slave. Yeah. Yeah, and all of the women that we've seen from their race are have that quiet confidence or overt mm. confidence. Well, that's just Centauri, aren't they? They've always got an agenda for the most part. Like yeah. whenever we meet so one, there's always like, like when a, she's a just scheme. like, oh, I just want to make you love me. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I don't know, but her performance though, for a lot of the episode, it is like, no, this is what she wants though. Like she believes like she's here to serve him and be his wife and have his kids and be the perfect model mm-hmm. of what it is to be yeah. a Centauri. She wants to so be a trad wife. She wants There's to be- a very, yeah, she has like a, I think what's unsettling about her really from the beginning is that she is like so intense about it. Like she has such an intense, yeah, like Steve, like a trad wife, uh, intense, like, I don't know you, but I am, you're a powerful person. So I'm immediately dedicated yeah. to you. There are so rules of the house and you are yeah. the head of the house. And So you can think, tell yeah. that something is, is up immediately, but you don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it to be quite what it was, but like you know, it's coming. Something weird is like because this isn't up. a show that's supportive of the trad wife lifestyle. No, no. <laughs> it's very judgy is. of her decision, and it's just like, oh, okay, it's not just that. Yeah, but it does demonstrate as well that there is an allure there because Veer is tempted. He he you know, he is he's he's not too aware of this world. So when a pretty lady so cute when, when a pretty lady wants to love him. Kiss. Yeah. Like if that if kisses could kill that would have flattened several small towns. Oh well it's not cute when you get to the end of the episode. Yeah, no, when, oh, you, when you find out is. that she's done that. She's she's a she's a fucking oh, you're piece of work. Really into genocide. Okay. Whoopsie. Oh, yeah. Relationships, guys. Right? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> you have some rocky starts Oops. to him, but uh... my, girl, my my fiance has committed many war crimes. Wow. My yeah. fiance is a, is a war. It's like our rela- it's like an our relationships post. <laughs> yeah. on Reddit. It's like uh, just found out that my fiance is a war criminal. And uh, you have her. Should, I, should have, I dump her or what should I do? You have her post where it's like, I just found out that my fiance is actually helping the enemy. Should I keep him or not? Like, I found out. I found out my fiance is enough. anti-war crimes. This is weird. <laughs> I found out yeah, that is... he's pro-non. How do I? How do I deal with that? <laughs> I believe that certain races are just inferior, um, and that's just the truth. And it's weird that somebody doesn't believe that. They make ne- uh, they make mess in their own nests, for Christ's sake. And yeah, yet he's wanting to help. They found their horrible. own nests. How 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 could he be supportive of that? And you see the comments being like, dump him, he's such a loser. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> LOL, lol. Yeah, just... You are not the asshole. <laughs> You're the hero. <laughs> NTA. Uh, Centauri Reddit. <laughs> Centauri Reddit would be a fucking nightmare. Oh god, what a nightmare! <laughs> they would. They would. Oh fuck! I don't even want to think about but it. Veer's a big hit on uh, Minbari Reddit. <laughs> yeah, they love him yeah. over there. They're yeah, like, they we love, love this guy. Them, yeah, not the S N T A. No, um, Rachel. So, what do we discover about Veer though during this? Because there's a na- there's some nuns aboard the station that seemingly want to assassinate him or take him down. Yes. We learn that 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 isn't about him. That's about Lindsay. What we learn about Via is that as soon as he has power to do some good, he fucking does it. He fucking does it. 
he does it. So he's made this fake profile. Abraham O'Linconi. Abraham O'Linconi. <laughs> and, like, they don't really say it. But I imagine that that's him misremembering the name Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> not not him trying to make it sound like a centaurian name. Well, Ra- Rachel, <laughs> that, Rachel. That's just my uh, head canon. According to this episode and this episode only, Veer is an expert of human history. Which a lot of us already knew. <laughs> when did we ever get that info? I don't think we've ever gotten that before, but it's here now. We know that Lanier is. Yeah, Lanier, Lanier is. history buff, not Veer. Well, why not? He's going to do something he's in the got, meantime. He's got interest. He's got interest. Yeah, he's got a person museum beyond his of job. 20th history. It's 20th century history on yeah, the station. Yeah, him I'm and sure Talia went to the 20th he, century yeah, he exhibition the and play and strummed the guitar. That was a yeah, yeah, cut yeah. story that we didn't get to see in season no. two. And what a bummer it was. We yeah. would have loved to have seen that story of Talia and Via's adventures. <laughs> I ship them, actually. Wouldn't that be a and power the couple? Of the bands, yeah. Um, how would a centauri and a human make love? Don't know. We'll figure it out, I hope. But um, so you were saying, Rachel, via he's doing stuff. He's, he's yes. being a good boy. So he is forging papers to get nuns off, off world, mm-hmm. off world, um, pretending to send them to work camps. Because they're quote unquote better. Than yeah, being on none. Uh, uh, but then, so he gets them off world, and mm. then he makes it look like they've died. You're right, Steve. Ivanova's like pissed no, the fuck off when she finds that out. Nobody cares about so dead nuns. Yeah. Once they're dead, there's nothing more to them. They're, they're, they're gone. We get that from Linda Steele a lot, too. It's like once we kill them, the problem is solved. We move yeah, on. They're not people. They have no soul or anything. It's just, yeah, they're a pest. Yeah, they're bugs, like Londo is dealing with in his quarters with his mm-hmm. sword that he killed his friend with, and <laughs> which was very odd. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's basically Schindler. He's doing a Schindler's List, yep. uh, which I think is a great thing to do in the series because Via has been up until now, heralded very much so as the good Centauri. He's got a conscience. He's got morals and ethics, and he voices them. We've seen him be noble in these scenes where he tells Londo not to commit these war crimes or begs Londo to help these two young lovers, and he stands up to him, and he stands up to the establishment, but not really. Like, he voices his concerns. That's where it's been. He's been, he voices them, but at the end of the day, he still does them because it's his job. Like, he says no to Londo, don't but do he this. Goes get, he does go get Morden. He does go get Morden. And so when you get that scene in season two where it's him and Jakar stuck in the lift, and he, oh, he's like, well, one, yeah. I'll have to, he's, he's like, it's so awkward. I'll break science by apologizing. And Jakar just says basically no, fuck you. How do you apologize to all these dead people? It's like you can't apologize to them. Via, you can't just say that you want to do the right thing. And so we see that has been challenged. When in the past we didn't even think that's something that should be challenged because, well, he's done the right thing for us as a viewer. He's done the right thing, which is he said out loud that this is wrong. But as we go further into the show, we see that JMS really wants us to examine that. Like, as a viewer, is that enough for you? Is that really enough to have your characters just voice that things are wrong? 
No, perhaps it isn't enough. Now we need to have them take actions. We need Sheridan to break away from Earth. We need Zack to stand up to Nightwatch. We need Veer to actually use whatever means that he has to help the Narn instead of just saying, I'm sorry, or it's wrong what we're doing to them. We need him to actually do things rather than be complicit in the Mm -hmm. actions of his race and of himself because... When you think about it, guys, he's the guy that sent the message to start yeah. the war. Isn't that crazy to think about? That was his job. He was the messenger boy. Yeah. Mm. How yeah. do you feel I about that evolution, that. Steve? Uh, you know, I and I, I, I don't want to get. You well, know, I'll, I'll get into the end, I suppose. Like, I, I do think that's quite a lot of growth, obviously, for a side character to kind of go from uh, this kind of bumbling sidekick to someone who has ushered two thousand people into freedom. Um, but I think what's, and I agree with everything, obviously, but I think what's really interesting about Veer, um, and about Babylon 5 in general is that this guy has done such a heroic thing, but at the end of the day, he is still, he can't shake the fact that he's kind of a toady. Like he, he lets Londo yell at him. He accepts his demotion. He doesn't like, I feel like in a Star Trek He'd be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm joining the humans. I'm going to join, you know, the Babylon 5 staff. I'm not working for you anymore. But no, he's like, yes, Londo. Okay. I can be demoted. That's fine. And then with Lindisi, he like, he's still like, you know what? I still want to, I still want to touch your butt. Like, I still want to give you a kiss. Uh, Even though you, you kidnapped someone and tied them up and wanted me to murder them. Uh, I am still going to give this a chance. Like, because he thinks not... that she can change. Some reason he's like, there's oh, yeah. probably the ability for us, for like her and the Centauri to do good. He's yeah, done I mean, that over I, and over I do again believe with that. I still, I still think part of him though is like he's not the hero that we. He's not all the way the hero that he mm. could be. He's still like he's still Veer, and he wants to get his tentacles wet. So like. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's it's he's he seems like he's someone who thinks that uh that Centauri can be worked like it can be helped on the inside like within the system of it. Like I think he genuinely thinks that like I can do I can take actions that can maybe fix some things. Um whether that's and, and that's probably uh, something of a flawed thinking in a lot of ways. Uh Centauri seems pretty in ir- the government seems pretty irredeemably terrible. You can't um, put the fire out from inside the house. Yeah, it's. But, but uh, at the same time, it is challenging that though because he's breaking the rules to do things like mm-hmm. before. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy though, right? Lindesty, you you say like, oh, he wants to get his tentacles wet or whatever, and that's funny. But like, <laughs> his role in the show has been the angel on a character who has committed genocide over and over again in the show. Jiminy like, Cricket. He's the yeah. He's the Jiminy Cricket to to Londo, who is oh, yeah, yeah. a complete monster in this in this episode too. Is a complete asshole, and yet we've been fine with that because it's like, well, it's Via. We like Via because he's got something in him. But like at this point in the show, you, you again. We're midway through the show, as you say, Steve. He's heroic, but not enough. You, 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 yeah. This is where we're developing it. We go from season one, where the most heroic thing he did was tell Londo no. That was, like, heroic. It was like, yeah, he told yeah. Londo no, and that he's wrong about love. Three seasons in now, it's like, oh, he's using his powers to 
aid the enemy and save them, and he would do it again. He would do it over and over and over again. My only regret is that I couldn't help Noah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a rather fascinating thing, but like as as you were saying though, there's still the thing of he is back to where he was, but how much is he going to move forward as we go into the series? Cuz he can't go back. And I think that is why Babylon 5 is so good. It's like it it's he's both. You know, he he is making these heroic choices, but he's still kind of stuck in his rut like yeah, what's going to happen? Is is he what side will win out? And it, it, I think that's more realistic too. Like we all kind of fall into our our ruts sometimes, even if we do something amazing. You know, like I could do something really cool and amazing, and then if I see my high school bullies, like all of a sudden I'm being bullied. You know, like that's just how mm-hmm. life is. Yeah, that's just how life is. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I I think it's just like I don't know. It, it's a relatable. I think kind of what what I I can relate to Veer's decision with uh, the path he chooses to take with this, even if I don't uh, agree with it. <laughs> like, yeah, no, exactly, uh, exactly, yeah. It's it's with with Linda Stee. It's like, yeah, I don't know. He he, I think he genuinely sees some kind of good in her, um, and I think he just thinks that she is going down the wrong path and is misguided, and is like, we can do something about this. I my my goodness will will fix this this badness in this person. Um and I, you know, listen, I I think anybody who has been in a relationship with uh someone who is maybe not what they hoped they would be understands that feeling. Um and even if it isn't I the, can change you. Yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. And even if it isn't the right it's like, no, like you kinda hope he would just be like, well, you're terrible. I think you're bad and get mm-hmm. out of here. Um but I think he genuinely you know he's 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 a flawed person, uh, and he's just kind of like he's just making do. He's just gonna do. He, he, I think he genuinely is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about this. Mm. Uh, he believes. Will he be good able to? Everybody. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a tall he doesn't, order. He doesn't believe the good in Reefo or Morden. We know that for sure. No, he does yeah. have his yeah. lines. I think that you. But they're, use... but they're not pretty ladies. No, they're not. They're, they're pretty boys, and yeah. um, they are very pretty boys. They are very pretty boys, and. Lindesty's also used, I think, in a way as well as uh, as a as a as a stand-in for for the Centauri because this is like this is what the Centauri are. Londo even says it like you know she's a great example of what it is to be a Centauri. Like she's a true example. You Via, you suck. And Via looks at that in size because to him that's like not what it should be. Like Lindesty's just an example of the societal problems and i think that can be very relatable i mean we've all gone through all of both of our countries have gone through some major turmoils over the last how many years where you go no please god no i wish that it wasn't like i wish america wasn't this or i wish australia wasn't this and veer is very much using that where it's like yes she's a genocidal war criminal and that's bad of course but it's like I wish that she wasn't, and I wish the Centauri could be better than this, and this is him being like, well, I can be better than that, I can take actions, and if I try to mould things to be better in some minor ways... But at the same time, I like it that he's just a guy. Like, he doesn't know exactly what to do. He's not Londo, right, where it's like, Londo's like, I make a like five different political moves so that I can get everything I want. V is just like, I, I did this and I kind of got away with it for a while. And then I got caught. 
And now I don't know what to do because I didn't think that far ahead. Mm. And uh, yeah. I guess I'll just stay here and get in less trouble than if I got caught by somebody else. Uh, because this is, I guess, treason in a way. <laughs> like he's aiding the enemy. Um, yeah. And so I yeah. guess I'll just stay on Babylon Five and 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 take it. But it's not as if he's taking what he did is wrong. That's the most important takeaway. Like he still thinks what yeah, he did is no, right. He, yeah, he yeah he he's his heart's in the right place. He'll get there. I I believe in you, Beer. Instead, I had them sent to other worlds, got them medical care, and when they were healthier, I had them filtered back here to Babylon Five or sent elsewhere. Then why do the records say they died? Because back home, nobody cares about dead Narns, only living ones. While I was here, there was nothing that I could do. But while I was running the diplomatic mission on Minbar, I had the chance to do something. And I took it. My only regret is that I couldn't have saved more of them. I look at this episode, and it's light and fluffy. It's... It's sugary sweet. It's kind of throwaway. There's some important beats, but nothing groundbreaking. But I look at it as an interesting example of how a show changes. Because if this was a season one or season two episode, this would have been more lighthearted and fluffy. Like, you go into it and you go, oh, look at Londo. We, his first shot is him in a comedy shot where his head pokes out, he's got his tongue sticking out, and you hear bugs, and you go, oh, look, that funny character Londo. But a part of my brain goes... He's a war criminal, though. He's a war criminal. But, oh, look, we start out the episode, and Londo's basically like season one Londo, where he doesn't, like, he's he's just having a comedic aside in an episode, where it's like, yeah. Londo doesn't know about ducks, and he thinks they're cats, or Londo's playing poker, and everyone's having a laugh, and you have a lot of those elements to this, where it's like, Via's this funny guy, and he's doing all of the Via things where he's, like, stammering and having a funny kiss and all of that. And Mm. the show says, in this, "Mm, we can't really have that episode anymore because it turns it sour in a very interesting, as you say, Steve, this episode is interesting. It may not be the best, it may not be the funniest, it may not be the most illuminating, but it is interesting because this could have been just a a random, like, I always think of Deep Space Nine where it's like, oh, with the Dominion Wars at at its height, but we can still have time for a Ferengi episode as, like, just an offset of, like, oh, Prophet and Lace at the height of the Dominion War. And you're like, yeah, oh, Christ. And it's like, and those can be fun, those can be good, but it's like, oh, yeah, you know, just a little aside. And here it's like, you think it's going to be that, but then it just grabs you by the shoulders and says, no, we can't do that anymore because the Centauri can't be funny characters anymore because they've committed heinous war crimes. Uh, you can't just put the genie back in the bottle. And this episode plays around with that. Uh, how do you feel about that, Sean? Because I think all of us have enjoyed those episodes of Babylon 5 in the past, but this one doesn't really give us that fully. I don't like it's it's a like a a a a push and pull with the Centauri. I mean it's the 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 way they are introduced is through Londo who is like such a a fun character when the show starts and the 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 the, the racism of Londo is always there and mm. you you know how he talks about the Narn in such a terrible way and so it's like it's not like he's a a character that you approve of necessarily um but 
uh, you know, he's he's the fun guy. He's like the most fun character that the, really the show starts with. Uh, yeah. So, but he has the Londo has the hardest turn, the fastest because he is just he everything with the the war happens just you know in season two and then the episode where they they conquer the Narn and and he it, that that's it's so and he becomes so like hardline and he gets terrible. what he wants. It's, yeah, it's it's really nightmarish. Um, and I don't know, like the show has done a very good job. I I, I think of of really making it clear how terrible they are. Um, so it's. Yeah, I mean this this episode it's it kind of just even just deepens it even more. So I'm I'm very, you know, it's uh oof, it's rough. Yeah, rough because stuff. when you start the show, the Centauria loses. They're a falling yeah, empire. Too, and yes. in a way, mm-hmm. even though you know you shouldn't, you kind of root for them a little, even though it's in text, like they're colonial They're the underdogs. Sla- they're the, they're in the, a way. Yeah, look, Londo's talking about sharks and he's a drunk and he can't even win at poker. What harm could they do? And then you get right. to now, and it's, it's like, like oh, you, yeah, a lot of harm. You, they do a lot of harm because they they always wanted this. Not everyone. Veer doesn't want this, of course. And there's other Centauri we've met that doesn't want this either. Heck, even the minister at the beginning is like, Londa's from an old way of things. This is something of the past that we need to shed, but too bad. It's here, and it's here to stay. I know, Steve, you, one of your favorite episodes was Soulmates. And this episode, I feel, is oh, a very yeah. interesting pair to that because it is... Centauri shenanigans where the lady lady or ladies come aboard the station and everyone kind of reacts with bug-eyed expressions of, oh, ladies of Centauris, of the characters I know. But they're very different approaches, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, I think Soulmates is kind of... I, I don't remember offhand, but that might be like the last like innocent episode where that's just like, a little bit of fun. Like, we know Londo sucks, but, like, what did he do at that point? Like, I don't know, said some racist things. About... He killed 10,000 people, but yeah. <laughs> at, at that, that point, point, had he already? In season one's finale, he killed 10,000 people, but it was done oh, in a way wow. where it's like, oh, but he didn't fully understand what Morden yeah, yeah, meant, yeah, but yeah. He, he did. He, didn't, he yeah, did, he... but he didn't really. Yeah, because that's why his star is in Ascension and he gets this gift from the Emperor of the Divorces. He's because he's killed a fuck ton of Narn. But he's still, as an audience member, you still feel like there's wiggle room for Londo. Like, he hasn't gotten too far down the path. Yeah, it hasn't gotten so bad where you're like, oh man, this guy can never be. And then, you know, now it's like. I think, like, the JMS is very good about being realistic about things and, like, it's too late. Bad stuff has happened. Uh, you cannot, you cannot have a light episode anymore. Um, this will always be hanging in the background. So, yeah, another great example of JMS being very present in, mm-hmm. in his writing. I won't let you forget. Mm-hmm. Londo throughout this is very funny. He, he's he's making all of these weird observations about the bugs and. He's yelling at people on the TV screens in the way that he would in yesteryear. But as soon as we get the opportunity for him to be a garbage, narcissistic, egotistical, racist son of a bitch, he takes it. He is just, as soon as it happens, you go, oh, that's right. Of course. That's Londo. That version of fun Londo has, is over. Every time he gives us a glimmer of it, you're like, oh, yay, we're back that's to it. And then, and then it reminds him, you. But that's not who he is anymore. Yeah, every time we go, oh, look, Londo's had a modicum of, of, of growth back to being a nice person. Oh, wait, no. 
Nope. Nope. Yeah, nope. Still there. He's like he delights at two thousand dead non. Good job, Via. Like he's he's yeah, he's congratulating he him. And and he's yeah, just like, oh, yeah. I did a Ugh. good job raising you, Via. And then it's like, oh no, you're such a disappointment. You're such a disappointment. You didn't kill all of those people. How could you do this to me? He went native. And he's he's not a proper Centaurian. I must bring him back into the fold. It is my responsibility because I am a proper Centauri. And it's just so depressing because you you because we've liked Londo in the past. He's very fun. You want to like him. You want to like him. And you may like him on a dramatic level as like a character that's taken that sharp, sudden turn, as as Sean says. That's fun. That's good to watch. But at the same time, you just wish that you could laugh at him without feeling a little bit of guilt at the fact that this is a character that has killed hundreds of thousands of people probably at mm-hmm. this point in the show. Oh, he, yeah. He's oh, yeah. responsible for millions of deaths. And at that's, this point, yeah. That's why I like JMS as a writer. He has an opinion. This is a show where it's like, he has an opinion about fascism, about racism, about bigotry, about hate, and he can still deliver that in an episode that is primarily funny. Yeah, the views and values are still there. But the views and values are not compromised and diminished by the comedy that's in the episode. Like, it's not funny that Londo is like that. It's not funny that Lindesty is like that. Like, the genocides and the racial bigotry and prejudice is not like a a side piece to some quippy gag like it would be with uh, a favorite character, Empress Giorgio in Star Trek Discovery, where it's like, that's a part of the gag. Like, oh, in the Mirror Universe, I would have shot down the ships with the women and children in it. And it's like a comedy beat. And you're like, that's that's not funny. (laughs) That's not funny. That's horrible. But she's a lovable scamp, Steve. She's uh, she rocked those boots. That's Remember what that's... the writers want us to think. Steve, yeah. the way she wore those boots and that jacket, oh, what a hero! What a hero what a she hero. is. She's going to get her hero. own show in like ten years. Yeah, <laughs> Burnham loves her. It uh, is not at all disgusted by uh, the things she believes and the things she has done. Mm. Role model for Tilly. Oh, absolutely. absolutely, role model for me. Even I prefer a little totalitarian efficiency. that's me. Let's get into the spotlight section and talk about the actress that played Lindesty. We can talk about that character a little bit more, what we thought about her performance and any interesting little pieces of information we've picked up about the actress, things she starred in, anything of that variety. Uh, We've minorly gone through this, but... You guys discussed it a lot on your show, and I'd like to hear from you guys again about she comes into this episode, this actress comes in with... Should we say her name? Yes, Carmen Thomas. Mm -hmm. She comes in and she makes a choice as an actress of how to play the role. And the episode doesn't immediately give us an answer to why she's made that choice. You feel a little uneasy about the precise energy she's playing this at. I mean, she is very wide-eyed and has this glassy-eyed stare that I found very unnerving. Uh, Sean, how do you feel about her performance and how she's made this choice and how it works throughout the run of the story? Uh, Yeah, I I really liked her performance. Uh, Honestly, like, I think think it worked... um, primarily because like her cadence is so intense and kind of off-putting and it doesn't really change uh, like depending on what she's talking about so like early on when she's talking 
so much about, you know, like I'm going to be a devoted wife and this and that, and you have so much power and this and this and that, and I want you to love me. And she has the same tone of voice when she's talking about like, oh yeah, the Narns are, oh, they're inferior and I murdered a lot of them um, with my dad uh, and we had fun and uh, you have to do that. Um, Like all of it is said with the same kind of weird intensity. Uh, And um, yeah, I really, I really liked her her performance here. It was such a singular and weird kind of performance that I think fit it really well. Um, Yeah. I, I, I dug what she was doing, the choices she made. I thought it was weird and interesting. Oh yeah. She's fantastic. Uh, Kudos to the, the person who cast her. She was a, playing at that level throughout the whole episode. And I think, you know, going back and knowing what she was up to uh, really makes it even better to watch it because from the moment you're like, oh, she is like, she's a trad wife, but she's also um, a sociopathic murderer, racist, uh, fascist. Like, okay, great. Uh, And yeah, she just plays that one note over and over and over, but it gets like more and more and more like frightening. So, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's a really dicey move because her performance isn't... I was going to say it isn't natural, but at the same time, there are people like this. There are people like this, but they feel unnatural in the real world because it is an artifice. It is yeah, something it's a off. performance that people put on. And it's dicey to introduce her with that and play that same note over because it could become monotonous, but they... they 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 change the other notes around and it. the emphasis on things in the scenes like we're really in Veer's shoes for a lot of it so we're kind of looking at it the way he is with this awe and this level of suspicion but also like Steve said I don't know where this is going to go like what what, what step, steps are we going to take with this but you know something's off because she is making such a choice and it pays off thankfully for us all of us it seems it pays off uh the culmination of it where it's not just it's revealed in that one big scene where she's tied up the Narn and she's offering Via to kill him there's many moments before that in which she just says these horrendous things these absolutely horrendous things or even the way she casually speaks about romance where it's almost like she's read about it like romance is this not a scientific thing that you approach like she has this expression about like how she wants to intertwine her arms around him and it's very mechanical the way she describes love but as Sean says, she she has this cadence to it this certain cadence as an actress in which it's like this character thinks that this is romantic. Like, this is the ideal of what it is to be. She reminds me of talking about those Chad wives. There's this specific YouTube channel, uh, um, Girl Defined. She really mm-hmm. reminds me of the Girl Defined women who say these very disturbing things, but they're pretty blonde ladies who are always smiling and they're always happy with everything they've said. And they'll say horrible things like, you can't date a guy who's missed a struggle. If there's ever a man in your life who's financially struggling, don't date them. And it's like, oh, you Or emotionally struggling. You don't want a man that's emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. Because they should go to the other men in the parish Mm. to get 
spiritual assistance mm-hmm. and, you know, be a part of the priesthood. And I think as a viewer of this episode in 2022, I appreciate this character more because I'm more familiar with this type of person than I, than I was when I watched it when I was 14. When I was 14, I just took it as like, oh, she's crazy and evil. But now watching it in my late 20s and I've met people you know like this. this evil. I know this type You've of... You've seen this evil. I know this type of unwell person more. And, and so... She can be herself because they're winning. You know, like her evil crew is in power she no one can stop her now so like she has all this confidence too and it's like no shame whatsoever and in saying like oh yeah i I killed thousands of narn but she's also plotting a murder on babylon 5 Uh, she thinks it's self-defense it's self-defense for her yeah she does not consider that there may be repercussions for murdering this narn Mm -hmm. Because it's not a person, it's not a life, it's not equal. They're, they're the aggressor to so her. So it doesn't matter. They she, she looks at them as these beings that didn't understand the purification that was given to them, that they're these aggressive beasts. They have their stupid little Shon cars, their blood packs, which that was set up with uh, Natoth, where she beat the fuck out of Deathwalker because she had a Shon car. And, and that's the thing too, like... We remember the days of the show where they also set the Narn up like that. Like, the Narn were always intricate, but there was a period of time where the Narn were seen as just villainous aliens who are angry and aggressive, and that's what they were for a very long time. And then we start getting more layers of sympathy and understanding for them to the point where it's like the idea of a Narn wanting to just kill Veer seems eyebrow-raising to us because it's like, that doesn't feel right for the Narn to do at this moment. Even though there's in-text justifications for why people would think that, you, the audience, go, this doesn't feel right for the Narn. So when we get the reveal that they're after her, it wasn't the biggest twist to me, but... The reveal of what she is was a twist that worked for me. Uh, how about you guys? Was that something that really landed for you when it was that unfurling of like the levels of depravity she had in her? It was just very rewarding. Like They kept hinting throughout the episode that she was this horrible person, but to see how big it was... I mean, it was rewarding. It was also horrifying. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was... It was great. I, I really liked. It wasn't a huge surprise, you know, like you said, that uh, this assassin was after her. But like, that's that's not what it's about, you know. Like, it, it's about you, the viewer, kind of seeing the whole picture all at once and being like, "Oh, oh no." Yeah. Oh yeah. It was. It was probably like my. I I hinted at it a little bit earlier, but it was probably one of my favorite moments in the show so far. Um, honestly, is is her being revealed as just a complete. Uh, monster is uh, was just really well done. I and again, her tone, the the way she kind of delivered the lines was really unnerving and creepy and scary. Uh, and the specific language she used um, was very. Uh, I mean, JMS is always good with that kind of stuff with the the language of kind of hateful people and and kind of how they refer to uh, people they view as inferior. Um, and so, just just really like it was. Powerful and like just very well done, but also just deeply unsettling. Like one of the most unsettling moments in the whole show. 
And that's the beauty of Babylon 5, is you can have an episode that isn't point of no return or isn't severed dreams, yet it can contain a thing in it that may be your favorite thing in the entire run of the series thus far. This is sick transit via we're talking about, and you just said like this scene is one of the like one of those scenes that you have really been impacted uh, yeah. by. It doesn't wait for those big episodes to give you big moments. Yes, which I feel like a lot of modern TV can be very guilty of. Like oh, you're you know, waiting. in a modern TV show, oh, that nothing they're... important can happen because yeah. it's only episode eight. Or... It has to be the penultimate episode when we have the red wedding or something or rather like that. We we can't just and it, and even then it's like a lot of I think a lot of shows can build up that every big thing is in like those episodes but you can have like this isn't necessarily a big thing that that Sean is drawn to nor I but it is it is a very um, emotionally unsettling and like Sean described it is a thing that sticks with you or at least sticks with with us as viewers when we've had bigger things that stick with you like how Londo reacted to the non bombing of the you know non bombing and all of that and that's something that's in the opening credits even but here it's like this one side character that's in this one episode has this brand of evil and the way she delivers it as an actress it does stick in your craw for quite a while. Sometimes we'd find whole villages where the aggression was just too deeply rooted and we had to take it all out. You could, you could see the flames rising up into the night like brilliant flowers embracing the spring. Bright buds opening and spreading wider. Are you familiar with her in anything else, Rachel? I was looking over her IMDb. She doesn't have the most vast IMDb, hence I was like, let's lean in to talk about her performance in this, because that's No, the draw. I have I looked through all nineteen credits and I have not seen her in anything else. She was in Blade. I've not watched Blade. Well, I don't remember her in Blade, but she's in it. She's senior resident or something? She's, she was in one of the first successful Marvel movies. Yeah. Uh, isn't that cool? <laughs> Come on. With Wesley Tax Fraud Snipes. Come on. That's, that's, that's the film she's in. I'm not familiar with her either. I looked at her career. She's in a soap opera. She was only in like a... Not too many, but she was in it she's enough. She's in All My Children and All, Melrose Place. All My Children... And I watched a clip of her and all my children. And then for my own amusement, I watched the clip that was recommended afterward, which is the last scene in all my children ever. She's not in that. She didn't make it that far. And it was very weird because it's like the scene I watched of her is just a duologue where it's just her and a, and a guy and they're breaking up. And outside of the soap opera aesthetics, like the music and the camera and obviously the fashion of yesteryear, the acting wasn't too bad. It wasn't the most groundbreaking thing, but I was expecting much worse. And I was, ex- and it was also distracting because she had hair, and I've never seen this actress in anything before. So I'm like used to her being this bold uh, lady with these big expressive eyes. So it was interesting to see her. But she was actually pretty good in the episode I saw. But then I read the YouTube comments. And the YouTube comments oh. are like, I don't know who these people are, but I love them. They're these what? people who are like, she was so bad for him. I don't know how Tad could be in a relationship with Hillary. And there are people arguing with each other in the comments. And I'm like, what a 
weird place to be. The internet. That's the joy of it. Where there's these internet strangers who remember this soap opera from the 80s. And they have opinions on it right now in the in the modern day. And there are people disagreeing. And then I watched the last scene of All My Children. And it was the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire life. It was like the pinnacle of what you think bad soap opera acting is. And so oh, it was no. quite the juxtaposition of... When you and that was like an ensemble, like every character's in it, and it's like, oh god, yes, I see. But that scene I watched with just her, it was just a duologue, and it was a very simple breakup scene. She delivered it well, so that's kind of about it. Sean, Steve, I imagine oh, you're not. I have another thing to note. Oh yes, yes. So it, um, there's a fun random interview that she did just on somebody's. It's not even like a blog, I guess. It's on we love soaps dot net <laughs> from two thousand and ten. And this piece of information makes things make more sense to me. Which was that she got her part in All My All My Children when she was like fifteen and she grew up in Georgia. Okay. And that's it? That's all you got? Yeah. That's I just I'm like she knows women like this, where it's just like mm. my husband, my wife, my husband, my, my life. Yeah, yeah, my kids, my life. Like uh, that sense of community and world being in the home, mm. especially from an outsider's perspective, feels very southern. Uh, yeah, Sean, Steve, anything in her catalogue of work that rings any bells for you? You know, I Googled her. Um, it looks like she is like a doula now. And she's okay. like, uh, it looks like she did like, she was a massage therapist and um, she oh, did okay. aromatherapy cool. and, and now in yoga. And now she's a, um, yeah, a doula. It's pretty interesting. I mean, a lot of these actors, I know they're, they're not like A-listers or B-listers or C, and they go on to have pretty interesting careers. So that's pretty interesting. But no, I, I've never... Uh, seen her before uh, or since to be honest but i like i said great job really great yeah sean you yeah uh i don't really know too much else about her career uh to be honest but uh no that's all very interesting i am learning a lot about uh her career from 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 this so i i I appreciate it um but i liked her performance in this a lot so she was great one of the things i was going to bring up just to wrap this out on the spotlight is We've noticed doing this that there are some of these actors, specifically actresses, that are from soap operas. And I always find it funny because they're brought on to do Babylon 5, which is like a completely different world to those soap operas they did. Like Julie Masanti, the uh, the political oh, officer. Sure, yeah. she's from a, she was in a soap opera, right? And uh, she was in a few other things, of course. But then um the ISN reporter in and now for word you Steve I believe knew her as one yeah, of the she's leads from guiding light yeah my mom's favorite yeah exactly and it's just so interesting to me because I I I never I've never watched soap operas my family never watched those but there's a basic understanding we all have of what soap opera actors are and how they uh perform and it's always fascinating to me to see them turn up in something I like, like Babylon 5 or Star Trek, and they give a very unique and fun performance. And I wonder, it's like, is it they have skills outside of what we see or what we perceive in soap operas? Or is it just there's a certain unnatural weirdness of soap operas that Babylon 5 can translate really well? Because a lot of these actors that we've seen from soap operas have played 
weird characters. Like, Julie Masanti was, like, a weird person. Like, she was a Nazi and she was scary. Or um, Cynthia Talkman in And Now For A Word was, like, the perfect embodiment of that type of news anchor. And I just find it a, an interesting thing to to note down is Babylon 5 grabs some of these character actors like Walter Koenig. We all knew him as Chekhov. And yet when we see him in Babylon 5, he's a completely different character, completely different performance. And yet it makes sense. It's something you may not have expected. And I get that with this actress and all these other ones from these soap operas. When I read their IMDb, I kind of chuckle a bit when I go, oh, yeah, they're in this soap opera like Melrose Place or something. And uh, General Hospital, and I go, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because there's a, you look down on soap operas, but they serve a purpose. They give actors work. And at least for Australia, a lot of soap operas launch the careers of megastars as well. So that's something to just uh, remark upon. Mm-hmm. Well, I, think, I, I think soap actors are a great fit for sci-fi because, like, Soap actors have to deliver really ridiculous lines and make it believable. And they also have to make it believable for a huge swath of an audience. Like, you know, people's moms are going to want to know it. But also, like, younger people. People homesick from school are going to need to believe it. Uh, So I think along with, like, a Shakespeare actor um, or, like, someone from, like, a comedy background, I I think a soap... I think having soap background would make you ideal for for sci-fi. because you got to be big. you got to be big. They're simply inferior. It's genetics. They're lazy. They foul their own nests. Everything they touch falls apart. Hence my original conclusion. The sooner they're dealt with, the better for everyone. Especially if they've caused you any kind of trouble. What do we rate this on the yum-yum rating system? Yum being bad, yum-yum being good. No middle grounds, no half-yums, Sean. I know that you want to give a half-yum. I can feel it in you. But what, in terms of whole yums, are you going to give it, Sean? Yeah, Sean. I'll, I'll give it the Sean I'll give it the yum-yum. The I'll give it a good a good rating. This is a good... I, I like this episode. Yum-yum. Rachel, what about you? Yum it, or yum-yum? It's a yum-yum for me. Yum-yum. It's a yum-yum. Yum-yum. You've turned, you've turned around, man, because I listened to your show. Like, I picked this episode because I was like, oh, this is a fun one, not too spoilerific, and, uh, you know, we'll have a good time. And then you were like, okay, sure, that one, fine. And then I listened <laughs> to your episode, and you were very much like... It felt like you had your arms crossed throughout most of it. And you're like, look, and even at the end, you're like, I don't want to be a killjoy or anything. Like, this like this is all right. But, like, I didn't enjoy this. Yeah, like I said, it is. I thought it was more interesting than good. But I think knowing a little bit more about the show, I, I, I that interesting stuff has kind of uh, grown. And, and I am drawn to it a little bit more. I'm seeing the seeds being planted a little more. And I'm like, all right, I appreciate it. Thank you, JMS. I appreciate it. I give this a yum yum. Yum yum. Uh, what are we going to be watching and talking about next time, Rachel? On the next Babylon 5. Do you have the DVD description on you, Rachel? That's not my job this episode. <sighs> Who did we give it to? I'm looking around. I think Steve already read one. I don't have it in hey, front hey, of me. Is it, no. is it that motherfucker uh, Sean I've Rose? Got it. Yeah, I've, I've got it here. This is... um. So the episode is A Late Delivery from Avalon. This is episode 13 of season three uh sheridan unveils the babylon treaty an unusual traveler comes aboard claiming to be king arthur 
and he has the sword Excalibur to back his claim. Oh my god. <laughs> that sounds now, amazing. Now if now if Ben he read a different description for you where it didn't spoil anything like that. If Ben read that for you, do you think you guys would have gone in more excited or less excited? More, I would have been more excited. I would have been thrilled. I would have been like, "Hell yeah." <laughs> see see let's, when let's I was see it. I don't want to spoil too much, people. We'll get to it next week, and I'm keen to give this a watch because this is an episode I've had very mixed reactions to, but I remember when I was a kid, I had the DVD booklet, and I needed to know what episode was next, and I read, oh, yeah, yeah, I just read this one, oh, this one, and I saw King Arthur visits the station, and I remember I rolled my eyes. I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be some We've bullshit. Already had Jack the Ripper, come on. Yeah, and I didn't mind Jack, <laughs> but I was like, okay, King <laughs> Arthur bullshit. All right, here we go. I'm not a King Ar- I'm not an Arthurian head. So no. I was like, oh, here we go. But it's an int- it is it is a fascinating thing as an episode, and a very divisive one, as is expected. For For better or worse, it goes for it. You you loved it. You loved it, and people can hear your thoughts on it over at the Last Best Babylon 5 podcast. Could you please tell us where you guys can be found on the internet? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram uh, at LastBestB5. That's also our email address, LastBestB5 at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Um, yeah, we, we keep up. Uh, we'd like to tweet about our episodes. And at one point we were tweeting about the country of Albania. Uh, we were in their top 10 podcasts for about a day and that was very thrilling. Oh yeah. Very. I'm thrilled. I've never been in their top 10. I host another podcast, Spin Posh Presents, and we were in the top 10 Polish podcasts, even Uh, though the only (laughs) thing is that we both happen to be Polish, but we don't like talk about Polish culture. I mean, sometimes we give fun Polish oh, trivia right. facts and uh, things of that nature, yeah, but, but not enough to be in the top it's ten. Called but... spit and polish. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, spit and polish, like because we're always spitting them both Polish. Yeah. Uh, but so that's... that's when people Google or search Polish. Yeah, you pop up. And uh, I guess I'm plugging myself for that reason. Uh, Spin Polish presents. I never mention it enough on the pod. You can check that out. Uh, we talk about movies. That's primarily what we do. Uh, but yeah, you people need to check out the Last Best Babylon Five podcast. It's great for first timers or people giving it a visit because no spoilers are given. Ben, the other host, is very good at keeping that in check. But you guys have brilliant discussions whilst also having your little comedy asides and shenanigans and skits and bits and uh, very good. I'll include all of this in the description below. Links are provided there as well as the links and stuff for our social medias. We're on practically all of them under yum yum pod or yum yum podcast. Always interacting, sharing things, having a joke, having a laugh. Feel free to follow us. Uh, You can rate and review us on whatever podcast hosting site allows you to do so. Just lift that finger up. Come on, just lift it up and move it over to give us that five star. I phoned Spotify. I phoned Apple. I phoned Podchaser. They didn't pick up. They don't have a phone. But I phoned them all to ask if they could change it to yum or yum yum rating system. They haven't. Uh, I don't know why. They said they would. They said they would, and they, they haven't. But if you could guys, if you guys could please rate and review the show, it would be much appreciated. Uh, you can support us even more so over at our Patreon, where we have a lot of content over there. We've reviewed the Star Trek movies. We've reviewed the top five and bottom five rated episodes of these other Star Trek shows, according to IMDb. So we've done some Enterprise, Steve. I know you're a big Enterprise head. I'm a, I'm a fan. 
We all, we all have, uh, we all God know it me. at least. Yeah. Um, God, God help you. God help you. And uh, yeah, we are currently going through space above and beyond on uh, Patreon. So come on over there to hear our thoughts on individual episodes of Space Above and Beyond, and you can do it without worries or spoilers. Because Rachel, you've never seen Space Above and Beyond before. No, I haven't. You haven't seen it before. I have. So the dynamics are a little different there. We're going through it. We're in the early days. So. Uh, you get to be a part of a group Discord when you join the Patreon. You can interact with our fellow yumlings on there and uh, ping Rachel and say, I'm so sorry that he's making you cover Discovery again. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I will give it a Walker Smith gif of a thumbs up as a response. So fun is had. We have an email as well, yumyumpod at gmail.com. And that is what we've got for you. Make sure to check out a late delivery from Avalon for next time. Jakar? Jakar did, um... He wasn't here, was he? He didn't show up. No. Not no Jakar? Yeah. No, no, there were Nans, but no Jakar. He was never caught... I mean, he's no longer ambassador, so I, I guess he doesn't have to get called in whenever Nan incidents happen anymore. See, the show's different. He was not here, but I'm here. Rachel's here. Steve is here. I think Sean's still here. Sean's and here. Uh, uh, I guess I can say to all of you... Good eating to you. Good eating to you all. Do you remember when you said good eating to you, Sean and Steve, in the pilot? Do you remember that? You uh, said it one no, time I, and never I, again. Good eating. I haven't seen it good since, eating to no. you. <laughs> I, I'll go with it. I'll go with it.